You're listening to Digital Disruption, a health wallet podcast dedicated to sharing insights on how you can cut through the noise of a complex healthcare system. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Digital Disruption, a health wallet podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Health Wallet's show. We appreciate you listening along to some of the most cutting edge innovations happening today in the healthcare sector. As we maneuver today's topic, make sure that you're heading to our website, thehealthwallet.com. Again, the healthwallet.com for more information on our solutions and services, excuse me, and also for uh, more episodes of the show. Uh, You can also find more episodes of Digital Disruption on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations plus notifications when we drop new ones. So on today's episode of Digital Disruption, we're doing a deep dive on healthcare coverage alternatives, specifically in the context of addressing this for licensed brokers and producers in the industry. As discussions to elevate our U.S. care system with value-based care in mind continue across the board and professionals and patients reel from the COVID pandemic. When hit with a crisis, the U.S. had a pretty rude awakening. Our care system is fundamentally unprepared to take in, process, and cover everyone needing medical attention. Much of this is due to the inaccessibility of health insurance, whether that's cost, confusion, or a combination of the two. And without a major structural shift to our care system and delivery of care, Patients fed up with traditional insurance have to look to alternative coverage options for something different. And that puts producers and brokers in a tough spot. What do you pitch to companies and their employees as well as their soon-to-be patients? There are a lot of options out there. Which ones are actually viable and why? So today we're breaking down some of those key options and how brokers should leverage and frame these options, especially in the context of providing care for part-time and 1099 workers, a rising workforce in our economy. Here to give insights is our guest for the day, Mr. Charlie Geiselhart. He's Chief Revenue Officer at healthcare to you which is a membership-based direct primary care organization that provides employers, brokers, and patients with unlimited primary and urgent care nationwide. Charlie, great to have you on. How you doing? Thank you for having me. Yeah, real pleasure getting to source your insights today. I'm looking forward to understanding a little more what healthcare to you does in this space, but more importantly, try to glean some insights on how to maneuver these alternative options in the context of helping out brokers and producers in the industry. So uh, go ahead and lay the groundwork for us to start, especially in a post-COVID U.S. care environment. Where do you see some of the biggest pain points today in accessing as well as taking advantage of insurance-based healthcare coverage? And uh, we'll go down the line for our core parties before honing in on producers specifically, but Again, biggest pain points. Let's start for employers. Yeah, so from the employer's perspective, you know, there there are alternatives out there, but they're costly. The high deductible plan's been out there for a long time. Um, for an employee, uh, it, it's it's expensive to buy coverage. It's expensive to use coverage. Um, so a lot of people are actually just going without coverage. Um, and what we offer is an alternative. Um, and there's a lot of a lot of choices out there, but it's really hard to navigate space. 
Um, the lay person doesn't really understand how insurance operates. So what we've decided to do is do a lot of hand-holding through our coverage, through our program that allows them to make one phone call and access care. So from an employer's perspective, they do a lot of due diligence, uh, but they only meet with an employee once a year to explain the benefits, give them a big packet of information and say, okay, good luck throughout the year and handling your, your coverage and handling um, your access to the insurance products that they purchased. What we've done is a little bit different in that space from an employer. So all they have to do is remember an 800 number, they call us and then we will guide them through care. Now let's ask that same question. Some of the biggest pain points, but for the patients, uh, I know they felt this acutely. Uh, I know me and my family did uh, during the middle of this pandemic. So sure. give us your take here. What do you see as some of the biggest pain points in accessing traditional insurance-based coverage as just a U.S. care patient? Absolutely, absolutely. So the idea around uh, the patient understanding the insurance model understanding co-insurances, uh, deductibles, all those different things, and finding the best option um, within their system. Um, again, just as the employers do, they actually go through their open enrollment. They might understand their benefits at open enrollment, but you know, six months down the road, they're, they're kind of left handling it on their own. And a lot of times they don't understand where they can save money, how they can save money. There's a lot of tools out there, but there's not a lot of communication for the patient, for the member, for the employee. You know, they're kind of left to handle it on their own. And the idea of that is in those of us that are in the insurance world, we understand it because we deal with it every day. But the layperson really doesn't really understand a lot of the alternatives or just exactly what they have. So, again, what we've done with our company is, is used a patient navigation line where actually somebody can call in, ask questions, um, talk to somebody that can guide them through care. And then, like I mentioned earlier, the core goal of our conversation here is to hone in specifically on how this challenge is impacting brokers and producers. So again, same question. What do you see as sure. some of the main pain points in accessing traditional insurance-based healthcare uh, and maneuvering that ecosystem as the middleman in the care industry, the broker sure. and producer? For a broker, you know, it's it's kind of an interesting dynamic. What what they're doing is they're putting together packages, but then there's a lot of people just opting out of coverage. Or these packages are expensive; they're expensive to use. So, from a broker standpoint, they do a lot of due diligence. However, you know, a lot of groups, fifty percent of the population, are saying, "Hey, you know what? I'm just going to decline coverage and go it alone." What do we do with those folks? And then. With the change in the environment with the workforce, the 1099s, the gig economies, all those different things, the per diems, those folks are kind of left out uh, out of the traditional insurance coverages, you know, because they're 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 not a traditional group. Um, they're something other. What do we do with those folks? So brokers are left with, you know, hey, we're you know, we can, can we can provide a package for half the population, but what are we doing about those other half of that population? What are we doing there? Um, there's not real good, good alternatives, and that's where you know our company specifically and uh, many many others have come up with some solutions for that that other that gray area that we have within the insurance world. There's a lot of brokers that are operating as the in the traditional sense, but there's there's new and and, and um, exciting alternatives that a lot of brokers just haven't really uh, explored. So, and our our 
goal for healthcare to you is to get that message out to them and say, hey, there's another way. And we'll break down some of those other ways here soon and uh, really get into the dynamics of how viable and efficient are some of these other models. Uh, I'd like to keep it a little high level first. There's a few other things I want to intersect. First, I want to intersect value-based care. This is something we've seen launched at scale, um, not only in the US, but globally, as different health systems try to refocus their approach to delivering care and the metrics they use to understand if the care they're delivering is actually of quality. So I'm wondering if this disconnect between uh, employers, uh, brokers and producers and patients with uh, insurance-based healthcare coverage, if that disconnect has been made more acute or maybe refocused since care organizations began to implement value-based care at scale. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, yeah um, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't really know the answer if, it, if it's if it's changed. I, I don't think it's 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 as broadly used as um, we, we think it is. There's a lot of news about it, but a lot of a lot of times it's just the same old, same old where people are going back to what they've always done, um, the same coverages, the same plans. There are a lot of people looking for alternatives, but I I don't think it's had the impact that we thought it would. I don't think it's changing as quickly, as fast as we thought it would, but hopefully that changes here here in the near future. And then the other core thing I wanna intersect with you here is, the scaling gig industry that we're seeing, which is more immediately relevant to our conversation. But over the last several years, we've seen the growth and normalization of this scaled gig industry, which has brought a lot of different discussions to our collective consciousness as a a country and as a a globe, really, including how a mass part-time 1099 or gig work-based workforce should try to access usable healthcare coverage. So where do you see care coverage missing for these underinsured market segments? And why do we see these challenges persist? Yeah, so, you know, the, the individuals out there, the gig economy, you know, there isn't really great op- options for those folks. Um, and, and that's part of our, you know, we're, we're looking to create solutions for those folks. A lot of it is geared towards group insurance. There is more and more people, the, the, the independent contractor, things like that. The, the, the insurance system is, is basically not up to speed with what, what the workforce is. There, there hasn't changed when, you know, and you go back a, a number of years to the association style health plans that were out there. They weren't the greatest option, but at least some of these folks had some options. There's not really great options for the gig economy. Okay, well, they can go to the exchange. But again, that's expensive to buy and expensive to use. Um, we need to come up with better solutions here. I talk about it all day long with, with, with our folks is there has to be a better way to do this. We think we have some great solutions that we've built, but there's not, if, you, if you're an independent contractor, there's not a lot of great solutions in the current structure today. And what we're going to do now is try to break down what some potential solutions could be and some of the potential challenges maybe to integrating them, how to maneuver them, et cetera. So what we're going to do is break down some of the most popular or widely used alternative options today. We'll break down specifically how they function in practice, some of their costs for all parties, and then how producers, since we're focusing in on brokers and producers, how they can leverage these alternative options for their clients. So let's start with primary care memberships. Break down how primary care memberships work, some of the costs, and then how producers can leverage them. Sure, absolutely. So 
Direct primary care has been around for a long, long time. Concierge medicine is not a new thing. Um, there are some people doing some great work. The issue with primary care becomes one, it's regional-based product um, typically, or and it, it's usually pretty fairly expensive for um, the layperson. At Healthcare to You, we, we kind of cracked that code a little bit. We, we, we have a national solution, um, which you know, allows us to have a 50 state solution. There's not too many of us out there. Um, you know, we're, we're a hybrid direct primary care practice, but the, 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 the philosophy or the methodology of direct primary care is to have an independent physician where they're gonna treat you or your acute and your primary care needs. And they're gonna take, a, take an approach where they're gonna treat you on, on an unlimited basis in a membership model. You know, we joke around, it's akin to a gym membership. A gym membership. Some people use a little bit, some people use a lot, but it's always there for you to use. What we've done in that scenario is kind of turned it on its head and created a hybrid model that you can use it anywhere in the country. Um, again, the direct primary care membership or direct primary care practices out there, there, again, there's people doing some great work, but they're usually regional. Um, they're usually fairly expensive. Our company, Healthcare to You, has actually you know, gone a different way and created a hybrid solution that creates a 50-state solution at an affordable cost. But the, the limitation for direct primary care is it doesn't cover a lot of specialist care. It doesn't cover any hospitalization, but it will cover 60 to 70% of what health people are using healthcare for. Yeah. And those services, like you said, the fact that they aren't new, uh, I think creates a little bit of momentum, right? Since these services already have some established infrastructure of professionals and uh, you know, a financial structure as well to fund them. You'd think this might be a place to uh, invest more heavily in some alternative options. Uh, before we break down the rest of them, do you see primary care memberships as uh, like the core alternative or maybe the leading one that is going to prove most effective? Or do you see any areas where uh, the traditional way of delivering primary care could be improved? No, the traditional way, I mean, so let's start there. The traditional way, the issue there is just access to care, getting access. I mean, right now, the, the average wait for a primary care physician in a traditional model is what, 22 to 24 days? That's why you're seeing the minute clinics and the different clinics pop up like that. You know, the direct primary care practices, they, they are gaining steam. They are gain, they're gaining momentum. Um, there's a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of them popping up. You'll see some of the, the, the bigger organizations start to look at direct primary care practices and, you know, and how they can actually operate them on, you know, but, it, but again, one of the big issues with, with direct primary care is, um, you know, can it be a national solution for a multiple state employer? Right now, um, there's not a lot, again, not a lot of companies like healthcare out there that if you have a 13 state, multiple state employer, how do you actually have continuous coverage at the same level for all those, you know, those employees in those different states? But, you know, it is gaining traction. Um, I, I, I would think, and what we're, we're we're counting on is that there. This is going to become more and more uh, in demand from employers. Uh, there's there's you know there's a lot of benefits to having a direct primary care membership for the the employee, and also for those folks that don't have any coverage. Those 1099s out there that don't have anything. Um, you know, the restaurant worker, the server, the bartender, the security guard and the service industry, hospitality industry that, quite frankly, um, can't afford to buy major medical. But a direct primary care membership 
would be a great alternative. And that's where we hope that some of the producers start to see that and start to offer that for the 1099s, the part-timers, um, you know, to say, hey, you know, you're not going to buy major medical no matter what. Um, however, here is a low-cost alternative that can provide some day-to-day -day care so you can actually, you know, access care um, pretty easily and pretty affordably. All right, let's jump over to our uh, next alternative here to traditional insurance. That would be medical cost sharing programs. These, uh, in essence, operate similar to insurance in that people pay into a pool and then share the costs, but I know in actual practice they differ. So again, break down for us how they function in practice, costs for all parties, and then again, where producers fit into that dynamic. Yeah, so the, the medical shares are kind of interesting, and you're seeing some more states, you know, pull back some regulations on the medical shares. The solvency of the plans, the solvency of the the, the programs, are, are a little bit of a concern when you when you look at the, the medical shares because they're 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 when you're paying into this, you know, there are some restrictions because there's some some pre-existing conditions, mm, things yeah. like that. So they're they're not all inclusive, like you know, some of the the, the medical plans through the the exchange, but from a producer standpoint, there is a there is a home for some of these plans from a from a brokerage or a producer standpoint. However, you know we take the tact that you know that there there's a fit for some of the population. However, I don't know if that's ever the medical shares are ever going to be mainstream or ever be where some uh, you know some employers say, hey, I'm going to embrace this. There's just some 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 uh, some gray areas that we think we see in some of the medical shares, but they're a great alternative for some folks that are fairly healthy and they're, they're low cost. You know, there's a fit for them, you know, and, and if I was a producer, I would offer up different alternatives for the employer and talk about the, you know, the pros and cons. And this would be one of the ones that I would present. Do you think that there is long-term viability in scaling these cost-sharing programs to the point where they could be accessed as a basic service by anyone looking for care? Or do you see any potential challenges in trying to grow that kind of service again at scale? Yeah, there, there are a number of national um, health-sharing organizations. We work with a number of them um, that, that offer an individual product that is fairly robust, fairly inexpensive. So they're out there. It's just it hasn't really been embraced uh, by traditional brokerage houses. Uh, but I would think that some folks, given the chance, would make would love to see this as an option. However, that kind of flies in the face with the traditional insurance carriers, where they will allow some of these alternatives to be side by side of their coverages. All right. So the next alternative option I want to toss your way is health savings accounts. Uh, this guy right here has an HSA, uh, and I'm curious how you see a health savings accounts functioning in practice, but more scaled, right? If they were to be uh, maybe one of the core alternatives offered to folks not wanting traditional insurance, and then again, break down some of the costs and how this is applicable to producers. Yeah, health savings accounts are a great concept. However, there's a lot of folks that out there that have health savings accounts that just flat out don't fund them. You know, the, the, the qualified plans have been around for a long time. Um, we haven't really seen the lift that we thought we were going to see in, in the industry. Unfortunately for us, and we take a pretty conservative approach, um, we, we see health savings accounts and direct primary care is not compatible 
Um, the IRS in its infinite wisdom says direct primary care is dollar one coverage, so therefore it would be a, a accessible through a health savings account. Hopefully that will change, um, but it, it's a great concept. However, we, we just don't see a lot of employees funding the health savings account. Um, I contend that an HRA for an employer is a much better vehicle, a health reimbursement account from an employer standpoint, um, and they are compatible with direct primary care. I like the concept of the health savings accounts, but unfortunately, they're just not utilized to their fullest potential. What would it look like to utilize them to their fullest potential? Or maybe a better question is, what would it take to get them scaled to that point? Yeah, more education for the the, the employees. Um, Again, we educate an employee once a year on benefits and they think that they're going to be able, um, we we should be doing it quarterly, monthly to make sure that they're accessing people that aren't funding HSAs. You know, um, there should be more information about the HSAs. Um, and quite frankly, opening up direct primary care to an HSA, I'm not sure why that, that, that hasn't been done yet because it's a perfect fit and it would actually get people to utilize coverage more. What we want to do by creating all these different, you know, the, the HSA accounts in it is get people to actually get into their healthcare system and actually use their healthcare. You know, it, um, you know, what the stat is what half the half the diabetics walking around don't even know they're diabetic because they haven't been tested. Things like that. If we make it easy and affordable for people to access coverage, then we can actually, you know, st- stop some of these uh, uh, shock claims that happen from a diabetic that, that, that didn't know they were, or get them into management levels and treated earlier on. Um, we create too many uh, too many potholes, too many obstacles to. Uh, enter into our coverages, you know, to access care. Um, and, and again, you know, I keep it, I don't want to keep going back to, but at Healthcare to You, one of our solutions is, is that to, to take away some of those barriers to the entry point of healthcare, to make it easy on the member to actually access care, get access to care and, you know, go out and have a physical, go out and see a doctor, things such as that. Yeah, I I agree there. I think it would be useful to encourage more of that kind of education. I mean, I'll be straightforward here. My HSA uh, does not see a lot of funding. I probably don't use it all that well. Um, and, you know, that's probably a little bit of my own fault. I just haven't maneuvered it well enough. But uh, I think it is also in part that I think all parties struggle to understand how to actually leverage it to its full extent, especially because uh, there's just confusion around how these alternatives actually work and what differs fundamentally uh, to traditional insurance-based coverage. So yeah, I agree. I I think that education at scale would be very useful. Yeah, if if I would do anything that I would change and I, I would actually change the way we actually um, educate our employees, educate, um, you know, and, and talk about health coverage. Um, that is the biggest problem. There are some very robust and unique solutions out there. But again, we do it once a year. We, we do all these meetings and everything like that. And we go out and introduce all these plans to the members, to the employees. And then we say, okay, good luck. I'll send you a packet in the mail. Good luck accessing care. The last alternative I want to bring up here, uh, and let's uh, keep this one brief if you don't mind, because I have a few final questions I want to ask before uh, the top of the hour here, but medical discount cards. This is another, uh, I guess, common 
way to get insurance other than traditional base coverage. So same list of questions here. How do they function in practice? What are some of the costs and yeah. why are they relevant for brokers? Yeah, I mean, the, the, again, the, the, it's, a, it's a unique or interesting concept where you know you can go and get discounts on MRIs, labs, different things like that. But again, it's education for the member. And this is typically for somebody that doesn't have coverage that they can actually go and, and use these discount programs. And they're not just on medical, they're on you know dental, vision. There's a number of them out there. And there's some really nice discounts you can get by using these coverages. And you're seeing that you know, more and more for that gig economy. You know, we bundle our services a lot of times with, meta, you know, the discount cards to, you know, in case you have to go and get an MRI, you can go and see where you can get 65% off the normal cost of an MRI. And there's a lot of search tools. Um, uh, Health Wallet in particular has a great search tool in their, in their program to actually use some of these uh, um, services and compare and, and have the information at the fingertips of the, the person needing care to say, hey, I can go 20, you know, two miles down the road and save an additional $2,000 on some services. It's worth the two mile trip. Perfect. Thanks for that context. And now what we're going to do, Charlie, is intersect healthcare to you a little more explicitly here to close out the conversation. So I know healthcare to you, uh, again, like I mentioned at the top of the program, approaches their primary care membership model in some innovative ways. Can you describe what those ways are and how do you find that some of the innovations that you've tried to bring to this membership model can benefit producers specifically? Absolutely. What, what, what we've created is something that, that can fit in the individual 1099 gig economy, part-time hourly space at affordable rate. Our group plans are under $50 um, or, you know, um, we actually have ind individual plans that we can plug into any, any organization. The idea around this is to give them affordable access to day-to-day -day coverage. A lot of these folks in these industries, they're not going to buy full-blown medical. You know, they, the, some of them are the 25-year-olds that are indestructible, but this is actually something that they'll actually buy or an employer can purchase at a very reasonable rate that can, they can give them coverage you know, that you, you can get access to a yearly physical, you access to a uh, uh, telemedicine, uh, virtual care, in-person chronic, chronic disease management and acute care. The idea around this is give somebody an affordable coverage that they can actually use. And we take it a step further. There's a lot of handholding in our program, you know, where the, employee, the, the member does not go it alone. We will actually not only tell them what their options are, but we will schedule their appointments on their behalf. If somebody wants to establish with a physician and stay with them, God bless them, they can. Or if they, you know, we have a same day, next day protocol of getting people to have access to care. So the idea around what we're trying to do is to go to the producer and say, hey, there's an option. You have this population of 1099s, per diems, what have you, that you may not be able to fit into a BUCA plan. However, we have options that are affordable. We have you know, some partnerships with some insurance carriers that we can actually create you know, a good, better, best model, a three-tiered or four-tiered model that allows people some choice where none really exists today. It, it's, it's also, and I talk to a lot of producers, right? They don't think that there's some, they don't think there's options for these folks because the traditional insurance is just not a fit for them. 
or even if they do kind of shoehorn a uh, solution there, the people aren't going to buy it anyway because it's too expensive. We're just about done with our conversation. Thank you for that context. Basically, I want to take that now and just look into the crystal ball real quick. Peering ahead, are there any other innovations or completely new non-insurance methods that you think are gaining steam or that you see in development that are worth industry professionals uh, starting to strategize around? If so, what do those look like in your opinion and why are they important? Yeah, the, the, the membership model is gonna gain steam. Um, memberships not only for direct primary care, but other services, labs, imaging, uh, we already see it in the RX model. Um, but I, I think the membership model is going to give more and more solutions, especially as you know this remote world becomes uh, more and more, and you're going to see more contract workers, things like that. I think that you're going to see so a lot of the smaller groups gravitate to this uh, because you know they, they might do a catastrophic coverage at ten thousand dollars for major medical, and, and then plug in the membership models underneath, where the the producers are going to have to look for alternatives because they're out there. And you can, you can put together a really robust plan that's affordable, but you actually have to look at alternatives. And that's what I think the membership models, not just the direct primary care, but again, labs, imaging, um, all the other services that, that, that are going to come to the forefront, that are going to allow us to you know, go to an individual or uh, an association, things such as that, and say, hey, you know, this is an employer association, but we actually have solutions that actually have some teeth to it that people will use. And oh, by the way, um, don't break the bank. That's a big one. We don't want to break the bank, especially coming out of uh, the COVID financial crunch. I mean, plenty of industries and individual companies, enterprise level or otherwise, are still struggling with some budget crunches and still trying to find sure. their footing. So that is definitely going to play a role in devising some of these strategies for employers, for uh, employees, or for the brokers. So we'll obviously keep our ear to the ground on some of these developments to alternative insurance models. But till then, I think that does it for our conversation today. Charlie Geiselhardt, thank you so much for your insights. It's really been a pleasure breaking down some of these potential options for um, alternatives to the traditional insurance model for healthcare coverage and why some of these are going to be more important and more useful than others for specifically brokers and producers. So again, we've been chatting with Charlie Geiselhart. He's Chief Revenue Officer at Healthcare2U. And Charlie, if folks wanna find out a little bit more about the work that Healthcare2U is doing, how can they get in touch and how can they learn more? They can visit our website or if they uh, wanna give me a call, um, would uh, be a pleasure, but there's actually an uh, information page on our website and able to chat with anybody that wants to chat about our services. And thank you for your time. Fantastic. Easy enough. Charlie, thank you so much for your time again, and we'll chat again soon. All right. Very good. Thank you. And thank you everyone for watching another episode of Digital Disruption, a health wallet podcast. If you like what you heard and saw and you would like some previous episodes or you want to make sure you don't miss out on any future thought leadership from the health wallet team and our partners, make sure that you head to our website, thehealthwallet.com. Again, thehealthwallet.com, as well as subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for a full catalog of audio versions. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Digital Disruption.